Welcome to Performance Anxiety. We're doing something a little different with this show, um, and hopefully this will lead to more episodes similar to this. We're doing a little side project, me and my own personal Jay-Z, Jordan Federati from Blink of the Star. We're going to discuss different aspects of music, and tonight, on the very first episode of this side project, we're going to discuss the shifting mood of David Lee Roth era Van Halen. And Jordan, I know this is uh, something that's near and dear to your heart, so let's let's jump right into it. Sure. I mean, I was just sort of, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, uh, to fans of this era of Van Halen, the albums have, be, you know, have grown distinct personalities that transcend the member membership of the band, and and uh, you know, they just sort of have taken on. They're, they're, each of them is. If you're a fan, so different from the other, yeah, and um, and each has a prevailing mood. I feel somehow. I would agree. I would definitely agree. And uh, let's, if you had suggested that we go through album by album, since there's only six, really, if you don't count uh, a different kind of truth, which I know, and and I didn't even think about that today uh, until today, and I thought, well, maybe. Uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about that. So let's jump in with Van Halen 1. So chapter one is called Auto Perfection. They were just born perfect on this first album. Um, they had been playing in the clubs in Hollywood for years. And, uh, you know, they probably had a catalog of over 30 original songs. I don't know the exact number, but... There were a lot. Uh, they had a lot to pick from, right? Yeah. And Ted Templeman, big shot, Doobie's producer, comes in and, you know... Basically, uh, on your first album, the band is relatively powerless, and I'm sure Ted was like picking songs, basically. Yeah, you know. Yeah, cherry picking sure the best. Largely his decision, um, and so it uh, the song selection, you know, it's perfect, basically, and sonically, it's it feels so unified, so disciplined. Um, and it has, you know, some very famous features like, you know, the, the guitar, uh, dry panned to one side of the stereo spectrum and then the big, uh, reverb on the other side, you know, this creating, you know, this huge sound when there's only just one rhythm guitar happening at times. Although there are many, there are more overdubs on the first album than, uh, guitar overdubs on the first album than the other ones, uh, than any of the other albums, I think. Hmm. Maybe Diver Down, there's a bit more, but um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of doubling up on, um, on Van Halen 1. And it, anyway, it just sounds really unified. What was your first um, experience with it? Like, where did, how did you first encounter it? You know, I kind of, I went through Van Halen in a weird, uh, kind of a weird, weird way. My uh, very first Van Halen album was actually Van- 1984. I was at a... Uh, a version of Walmart in in uh, New Jersey. And my mom's like, oh, I'll go buy an album. I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll let you get a, a tape as a cassette. And um, so I came out with Quiet Riots, Metal Health, 
And she looks at it and she's like, no. (laughs) She's like, how about this? And she pulls out 1984 because I guess she was familiar with the song Jump. And I'm like, all right, you got you got like the man in the iron mask or an or an angel with a pack of cigs. I'm like, all right, uh, it comes off more like an infant yeah. smoking cigarette. So it's so, like your mom thought that was better. more okay. <laughs> it was yeah. more appropriate for like <laughs> then you know, what, what was mental health? It was just a dude in a hockey mask, didn't it look like Hannibal Lecter or something? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of like um, a man in the iron mask, Silence of the Lambs. You know stuff like that, but I but guess, it was years before Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. So uh, yeah. it, it was kind of it's it kind of funny that, that she picked that one. But um, I'm I'm assuming she had heard Jump on the radio or something like that. So I I, I kind of like that's this song. So I said okay, fine. So that was my first experience with Van Halen, and then I went back and started getting their back catalog. Right. And uh, I remember getting the cassette and taking my little boombox up to uh, my sister had a little uh, play set. Are we still talking about 1984? Because we're on the first album. No, no, we're going back. We're going back to the first album. So, so I liked, I liked 84, 1984 so much that I went back and started to collect their, their back catalog, which they're one of the first bands that I did that with. Okay. Uh, Van Halen and Led Zeppelin. Although Led Zeppelin was nothing but back catalog at that time. Anyway, I digress. So my, my sister had a swing set up on the corner of our property, and uh, it was one of the only places I could go and listen to something and, and just be alone. So I figured, all right, I'll grab my boombox, my cassette tape of Van Halen 1 and go up there. And I just sat there on a swing, just blown away by it because I had never heard anything. And I'd heard 1984, but 1984 is a lot more polished than than Van Halen 1, in, you know, they had had more, more uh, experience in the studio. I heard Eruption, and it was just mind-blowing. I mean, Running With The Devil was a great opener, but Eruption, I'd never really heard anything like that before. So that kept me going. And songs like Atomic Punk with that weird uh, scratching of the, uh, of the strings on the guitar to, to, to the intro. With and the then phaser pedal happening, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, going into something so just different as ice cream man. It was, I was really <laughs> amazed by the range that they had on it. Mm-hmm. So when, when was the first time you heard the album? So I was, um, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a small town and, um, sometimes we'd go see our cousins in Ottawa, which is the big city. And, uh, uh, one of my cousins lived in, uh, in sort of a high rise in an okay neighborhood. And, um, I used to love going there because it seemed really um, like, you know, they were up on like the 16th floor or something. So at night you could see the entire skyline of the city, which was a pretty big deal to a country kid. Right. Yeah. Um, So, and uh, at the time when I went, I think I was about nine years old or so or eight, maybe, maybe younger. um, I found like his kid, uh, he would, he was a teenager, so he would be gone and I would get to hang out in his room. (laughs) you know, it was like red curtains and, um, and so he had all these like, you know, Kiss Alive albums. So I opened that up and was like, whoa, who are Barrett these Fawcett tools? posters on the wall? Pretty much. Yeah. And football, uh, football dudes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but there was a cassette of Van Halen one. So I put it on the little boom box. And so my first memory is like looking out at the night skyline over like, you know, from his bedroom. Oh, wow. In total darkness in this room. 
And there was something about that that went with the sound of Van Halen, one, particularly the, the, you know, the deep reverb, you know? Yeah. And looking at the skyline and, and, and just sort of the visual and the sonic elements merging. Well, seeing um, that... Seeing so that... it was a really sort of impactful first listen, but this was before I really kind of knew who they or anyone was. Like I was just getting into, I was like eight, just almost knowing who the Eurythmics were, you know? Okay. That was next year. Yeah. (laughs) I was still in like Beatles, Elvis phase, you know? Okay. um, But I do remember listening to the whole thing and just like the the mood of it was like very, very strong. I I don't know if I liked or disliked. I think I liked. um, But then when I was, you know, I was like you, I got 1984, was the big album that came out and I bought it and loved it and then went backwards through the albums. But I think Van Halen one was the second one I encountered. Yeah. Um, at that, st- at that later stage in my life, like 11, 12, when you're like, you know, you know, the names of the band members. Yeah. Stuff, you know? Oh yeah. <clears throat> so I loved it. Then feel your love tonight was kind of my favorite. It was the easiest to get into for me. It was like real rock and roll. Okay. And Ice Cream Man was easy because I, I loved, you know, Elvis and bluesy rockabilly stuff. But it was the chorus of Running with the Devil that just, I couldn't get my head around. It was so beautiful, but weird that these beautiful angelic vocals will be playing over this fairly demonic riff that was kind of like Black Sabbath or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And... and- and you had there David was a guy the on the crazy internet that sort of, yeah. And there, there was a guy I saw on the internet, this really smart guy, and he breaks down songs and albums and stuff. And he said that there's like a brief second of dissonance in that chorus where the the vocals and the guitar for a brief second create a harmonic dissonance. And I'd never, you know, it's so fast, it happens so quickly that, um, but he'd sort of like parsed it and figured that out but um oh. i think that's kind of the moment of the record in a way it's like it's really i love little dreamer that's the song i remember the most from that first experience of like looking out the city oh, little, okay little dreamer playing i can imagine like, you know i can, yeah. I can imagine you looking out at a, at a city skyline and hearing running with the devil because to me that opening bass and and, and it just mm. seeing there's the even city. reverb on the intro bass there. yeah and just yeah. that's, I mean, to me, that sounds like it, it's a song that was written in a city. For yes, a city. exactly. That is definitely city music. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's, and I lived, I, I was in, lived in New Jersey at the time, and it, but in a, in, in a very rural section. So I was, you know, my skyline was trees too. So, you know, it, yeah. But that's I was, funny. I was only an hour out of New York and an hour out of Philly. So uh-huh. I could, kind of picture it. it made me feel like i was in one of those places almost like almost yeah. dirty yeah absolutely but it was it was it was uh i don't know it wasn't the record was several years old at the time but it was it it sounded a lot different than anything else i was listening to even like you know even 1984 but yeah because because at the time i was listening to Shredders like Satriani and Vi and on, and this was more built around the song, but it had the qualities of Satch and Vi's stuff. But there was more of song structure 
to and vocals. I mean, you know, those guys didn't do a whole lot of vocals at the time. So and the guitar solos are quite short. Yeah, but they're amazing. They're heroic, but they're <laughs> short. And then the you know, and then either the breakdown or the next or the third verse or a chorus comes in. You know, it's like they're just a quick part of most of the songs. He doesn't, except for the the later outros. He starts then. He starts. That's where they give Eddie a minute and a half to really blow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was, um, I had read the the book that uh, Noel Monk wrote about a a year or so ago, Running with the Devil. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how, you know, they'd been playing for years and years together. So, you you know, they they were tight with their own stuff, but they knew like 300 cover songs at that point. So they, you know, it's, I'm kind of surprised that there's only what one cover on that. Album, uh, what you really got me, and right. uh, you know they they, they kind of made that their own, and that's that album is is that's one of the more, I guess better known songs on the album. But I was surprised that uh, looking at some of their later albums, which we'll get into, that that there's only one cover on that whole album. So yeah, um, there's a funny story about. Um, you know, they, I think they put out the You Really Got Me single either weeks or a month or something before the album came out. Yes. And, yeah, so they, they had, like, test pressings, and Eddie was going around town showing all his buds, <laughs> and he's all proud. And apparently, and now I think it's this band, the guy from Angel heard it, and he was like, oh, my God, this is going to be huge. And apparently they <laughs> tried to rush release their own cover of you really got me but they well, I guess Warner Brothers heard about it and pumped it back into overdrive and like got it out quick oh geez yeah I hadn't heard that I knew that that from reading Noel's book that that single had gone out way in advance of the album but I didn't know right. that was, that's funny yeah. <laughs> oh man all right well, so you yeah want- someone fact check me if it's not angel but I, I, I remember that story so let's let's talk about Van Halen too yes So this this one I've uh, chaptered um, Sloppy Joe and a Coke. <laughs> All right. This one sounds like Van Halen in the rehearsal space after their big, you know, successful tour of the first album. They opened for Black Sabbath, and I think they did some theater, started doing theater, small theater th- shows of their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first album was a hit. So they were on their way. They had, um, the future was theirs. So they get back to Los Angeles and, you know, they have a bunch of songs left over, but they don't have time to write a whole bunch of new stuff. So exactly, exactly. I think most of these are left over. I think you're right. And it definitely sounds like they're the leftovers to me. Dance the Night Away, I think they wrote to order, like for a single. Yeah. Um, Yeah. but most of these, I think, were already being played in the clubs. Most of them, like, uh, not Spanish Fly, maybe. 
Probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sloppy Joe and a Coke. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like post tour. They're like back at their rehearsal space, which was in Dave's dad's basement, by the way. How cool. He had a big mansion in Pasadena. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, David did come from money. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. So that was their pad. And it, if you look at old pictures, it's like, wow, they got some space down there. It looks really nice. I bet you there's, uh, Lots I did. Of slits in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> I did find out something interesting though. Before, um, I didn't realize that David Lee Roth's uncle owned the Cafe Wa in New York. Yeah, uh, was it Uncle Manny or something? Uh, or yeah, Uncle Manny. Name? Yes. Yeah, that's and uh, that's where they did their comeback club show. Yeah, and I've got twenty twelve. Uh, I think I've got <laughs> a, a bootleg of Jimi Hendrix and uh, Jim Morrison playing at the Cafe Wa. Oh, uh, I wo- woke up this morning and found myself dead. Yes, is that what it's called? Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> yeah, so it's a sloppier record. It's like that, you know, the precision, even just in the recording. But to me, this is like what Van Halen actually sounds like. Okay, you know, this is this is when you, you get invited over to the rehearsal space and they're just playing for their friends. Yeah, this is kind of what they sound like, you know. I think um, Eddie's more unhinged here, and he's getting – he's starting to get – I don't know what other word to use, but he's starting to get weirder yeah. <laughs> with, his, with his craft and with you know his solos are, and, and just his approach is getting um, more tangential, more exploratory, a bit rougher. And, you know, um, um, people say that um, on that tour, the Van Halen 2 tour, is, is that's the tour where the improvisations were the best that they had ever done. They were really kind of oh. extending parts more than they did later on. They, okay. they tightened it back up to like a, you know, more of a rock and roll extravaganza with discipline. But um, um, I haven't heard a lot of tapes from it, but that's just stuff I've read on the Internet. Um, is that those, this tour was where they, he and Alex really let loose, you know? Yeah. And I haven't heard a whole lot of live stuff or early live shows from Van Halen, just a, a few, but to me, I, I remember getting this album and being disappointed in it just because one was, was so good and, and, you know, yeah. having a history with it in 1984, I remember listening to it and, and, uh, you know, they had, a, they had a, one or two uh, covers on it. Uh, one, the you know good, but the song that stood out to me was "Beautiful Girls," um, right? And that was you know that was a lighter tune. That it's it they sound they still sound like a party band, and you know they they sounded absolutely. And that's what they you know that's what they started off as playing in people's backyards. And the first two albums, they just it seems like Dave's in his element. I mean, because that's what Dave wants to do. He just wants to be the the. the the front man for a party band. And yeah. the, the funny thing is I was listening to all the albums today, just, just to kind of bone up on everything for this. And I noticed something and I, it, it struck me that if you listen to the solo for the song bottoms up, it's the, the tone on the guitar. sounds similar to tones I, I've heard on other period albums. And it, Maybe as a producer, you can explain how or why this happens or, or if this is something they're going for. But it almost sounds like the amp and the mic are in two different rooms. There's this like, hollowness to the, oh, to the guitar well, solo. 
I would have to listen to it uh, once. I wish I could, but um, that very well may, may be the case. They could have used an ambient miking technique on the solo okay. <laughs> to give it some sort of spatial depth in the mix where they would back the, you know, they may have a mic right on the amp, but they would have a second mic backed off to capture the room, sound of okay. the room. Okay. Uh, it could be that. It could be a reverb effect from a box. Um, but I'll right. listen to it and I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I love the riff on DOA. It's just, what? <laughs> yes, Mind bender. Like, whew, it's so fun to play, too, that riff. Oh, you see, have a great amp. Yeah. I have an old Plexi, uh, like a 1968 Marshall. Like, Oh, um, man. Oh, when you play uh, DOA through that amp, it's so fun. You know, and, <laughs> and that's something I've noticed with, with his two albums is that the songs – the the structure seems to be pretty simple and I never really realized it until recently because I'm listening for Eddie's solo and Dave's vocals and, and all the stuff that's on top. But if stripping it down to the actual song structure, it, the songs are pretty they, simple. They utilize the pop structure. Yeah. And we're a, he a heavy metal band that use, utilized the pop structure. And that was <clears throat> fairly novel. Um, that you know, Dave and you know the rest of them too. I imagine just adhered to that aesthetic. I, you know, if you look at what they were playing in the clubs, it, it wasn't a lot of heavy metal. It was yeah. a lot of like Casey and the Sunshine Band. You know, that kind of stuff is what they were playing. Right, right, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they because uh, back in their cover days, they would they would be told they have to play these cover songs to get into the clubs. Fits. Yeah, top forty they used to call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back when there was such a thing. So I, when I was, so I, here's the story behind me hearing this album for the first time was, um, uh, I asked for it for Christmas when I was 12 and, uh, my mom, you know, all of a sudden, you know, two weeks before Christmas, I look under the tree and there's a, uh, package that looks suspiciously like a vinyl LP <laughs> and uh, there's no, and I had a stereo in my bedroom. So there was no way I was waiting two weeks to hear <laughs> Van Halen too. Cause I hadn't heard it yet. And I was becoming a really big fan. Yeah. <laughs> so one evening I gently, but gently unpacked it in my room. <laughs> Does your mom know this yet? Your mom has I, never figured this uh, out. I'll get to that. Okay. And um and I had it in my room for two weeks before Christmas. Yeah, it was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> low vol low volume in case she might know what Van Halen 2 sounded like. As if <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I know that one. Spanish fly, yep. So um yeah, so I heard it for two weeks and then I repackaged it. <laughs> and I was really, really bad at it. And uh, when we opened the gifts, I was like, oh, I'm going to open this. And mom had seen uh, that, I, you know, the tape, the packing job had been butchered. <laughs> oh, come on, Jordan. <laughs> she was not pleased. Oh, no. I got the stink eye all Christmas. Oh, there's nothing worse than a Christmas stink eye. Oh, my God. That's terrible. I think I might at the time I'm, I, you know, I don't think I was disappointed. I think I, I thought it was about on a par once I, once I got into it. Um, I love beautiful girls. I loved women in love. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, you're no good. And then as I got old in my older teen years, then I really started to love the heavier songs, DOA. Yeah. Out of Love Again is amazing. Um, my favorites, uh, my favorites were Beautiful Girls speed and Light Metal, up, almost. I, I Light What's Up the Sky. Sorry, yeah, that's actually I think my adult favorite. Yeah, and that's the one at the time where Eddie was like, "Check out where we're going with things like Light Up the Sky." He's, it's like that's the progression of the band. Is yeah, what he was saying. And see, for me at that time, I I was basically shunning pop music when I heard this. I was, I had a, I mean, I liked. Hall and Oates and, and uh, some of this stuff, but I listened to that on the sly. Nobody, none of my friends knew that. They, I was just, that was all in, in secret. But what I, what I was listening to that everybody knew was stuff like Megadeth, Metallica, Testament. Okay. So, you know, getting, and Van Halen was acceptable in those crowds. So, oh, yeah. So when I, that's why when I got this album, I was like, ah, you know, it's not, I thought it was going to be heavier, and it's it, not metal. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so it's party rock. It's yeah, exactly, and it's grown on me over the years. It's still probably my least favorite of all the David Lee Roth albums. So where does it rank as far as you so far? <laughs> oh, um, I'm not sure. I still, I mean, there's, I, I love a lot of it. I'm less into the last two songs, you know. Women in Love and Beautiful Girls I used to love, and now I'm, uh, they're good. But yeah, Light Up the Sky. I love Bottoms Up. And it, it, I love again. DOA is my favorite. Well, in listening to, the, to it today, a couple things struck me is, is that it sounds like, um, I mean, it's definitely a, just a, a carryover from Van Halen 1. And a lot of the, you can tell the, a lot of the lyrics either seem like they were rushed or they they didn't work on them. They just went into the studio with what they had. Because if you <laughs> listen to them, um, there's a lot of like sexy cliches in there. And, you know, it's, 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 I almost feel dirty. <laughs> like, like I need to go to confession. Yeah, it's, a looser, it's a looser album and it's more revealing of their, of their personality. So yeah, definitely, definitely. So I call I, it sloppy Joe and a Coke because it's sloppy. And it's also the album where, um, they really, you know, drugs entered the studio, and so yeah, they really got into coke, or yeah, that's where it started. Or krell, like as they called it. <laughs> that, that was their code word for cocaine was krell. Amazing. I don't know. Okay, women and children first. Like women and children first. All right. I like the way the line runs up the back of this stocking. I've always liked those kind of high heels too. What do we call on this check? I call it party. I call this one party on Wayne. To me, this solidifies their reputation as the like badass teenager party band. And you know, there's that scene in um, Fast Times where the two kids come up and they're like. They're trying to buy a, a scalp. They're trying to buy tickets from the scalper kid. Yes, at two tickets to Van Halen. Yeah. Hey, don't call it scalping. I provide a service. Yeah. You know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great movie! Yeah. 
I, Those tickets were twelve fifty. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what I wouldn't do for twelve dollars and fifty cent tickets now. Oh my God. Yeah, and so like everyone wants some. It's just so tribal that beat, and just like you know, it was written for their audience. And the cradle will rock. You know, it's about like the 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 good boy gone wrong. Yes, um, and that's that seems it's a more complex theme than anything off the first two albums. You've seen Junior's Great. Yeah, that's a great. Um, it, starting to throw those little quips in there. I love that. Yeah, that's definitely um, Dave. It's loose like Van Halen too, but it's also like more anarchic. Like there's like, like fools and Tora Tora. Like it's like oh. there's like a punk edge or something. Like a dirty kind of like real fuck you kind of edge in the riffs coming out. Yeah, loss of control. That song is just it just exactly. it's just off the rails completely. Yeah. But then there's like those last three songs. Uh, Take Your Whiskey Home, which is really curious because you hear acoustic guitar for the first time. And I found out that that was actually a song Michael Anthony had written from his ba- prior band, Snake. Get out of town. No, he, he'd actually had that riff way beforehand. So that, that song had actually been around. So, so possibly, I guess maybe that's one they were working on. Um, in interviews, I've heard, um, well, and the cradle will rock was written on a Wurlitzer, I think a Wurlitzer. Really? I didn't. Rhodes. I'd yeah, never heard that's that. the main riff. That's not a guitar. It's just played through a Marshall amp, so it's distorted. Oh, wow. So it would sound like a guitar. And apparently they, Alex and Eddie, would rehearse that every day for two weeks, and they couldn't think of a second part. <laughs> and then finally they came up with a second part, and then Dave added his stuff. Um, and Man. then they do Could This Be Magic, which I always thought was so charming. I love that song. Me too, and I was so surprised that it was an original song. I, I thought, wow, that sounds like one of their wacky covers. Yeah, it does. It does. It sounds like some weird blues thing that they did. But, mm. And then they, they slide right into a simple rhyme. Now, that was the song that really got me. Um, I, I, it was always my favorite on the record. Um, yeah. It sort of um, almost has a... Uh, almost sort of a Zeppelin-esque structure to it. You know, it has like these parts. It's slightly progressive. Um, yeah. And it, it changes and, tempo. Uh, it's just... Yeah, it's a, it's a real anomaly for them, I feel. Yeah, a, a and, definitely. And it works, I feel. Yeah, it's well. a definite leap in songwriting for them from what they, were, what they had released on the first two albums. Yeah. It's much more complex. Yeah. I, I, I get the feeling that all of the band members, everybody who was contributing to the songwriting was getting more and more confident in what they were doing. So it's because I know um, looking at the charts, uh, Van Halen two didn't do nearly as well as Van Halen one. And, uh-huh. I th- and so I think they got, they were a little taken aback by it. And I think spent maybe a little more time in, in songwriting. At least Dave did. Um, uh-huh. Cause I feel like I, I feel like Eddie, and I feel like this is something that, that goes through the progression of the band, and I'm sure we'll talk about it for the next three albums, that Eddie didn't want to be just a, a guitarist. He, didn't want to, he wanted to be a musician, a composer. Mm-hmm. And yep. I feel like he's, ju- he's really starting to feel that itch on this album. I agree, yep. And so the music got heavier, Less less of a party feel for it. And things got a little darker. Um, not completely, because you've got 
you know, uh, take your whiskey home. Yeah, and all. side one is a real is the party side, and then side two is sort of the weirder side. For yeah, sure. ab- yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, I, I can't really think of of a song I dislike on that this album. It's just every song is 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 fantastic, and I, I even the, the short stuff. And I'm looking here on online right now. I never noticed this. It says there's a hidden, a 19 second hidden track called "Growth" after "In a Simple." Yeah, that's that. It's that weird. um, That's that weird. Just sort of uh, grungy, almost instrumental. I always thought that part that's called "Growth" was just a weird coda because the whole album is just so weird that Mm. it just made sense that that would just be the ending of "In a Simple Rhyme." But I did find an interesting little bit of trivia about "Women and Children First. Tell me. Background vocals on Could This Be Magic? Nicolette Larson. Oh, right. Yeah. I that did was not, not. I didn't know that. Uh, as far as I know, that wasn't credited. But I had the cassette and there was no packaging that came with the Warner Brothers cassette. Right. There was no. Yeah, I, <laughs> so that, that poster, you know, that came with it with Dave. Yeah. With that huge poster. And um and, uh, you know, there was some sort of package or pictures or something that I didn't see until way later. Yeah, I, I just got the, the CD of it, the early mm. first version. And that was same as the cassette. You, you, you opened it up and it was just white on the other side of the cover artwork. Oh. So I, I didn't know anything about it. So, yeah, if you like a lot of love, hey, check out uh, Could This Be Magic? Same, same lady. who She has a fantastic voice. Yep. I love Nicolette Larson. Anyway, okay, so moving on. It, well, this is also the first album with no covers. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's step. that's yeah, that's part of like Eddie's, you know, like hey, let's be a serious band. Yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think I think that's part of where where the some of where the fracturing of the band started to take place because Dave likes like doing covers and weird standards and. Being, he was with the producer Ted Templeman. He wanted hits and covers. He yeah. liked it. And I, I there's there's a definitely a touch of vaudeville in Diamond Dave. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So moving on. Our next chapter. The Willful Child. This is Eddie pushing his weight around. And basically, they kind of let him have his way. Um, you know, word is he was, he, he wanted more overdubs. He didn't, he, he wasn't necessarily uh, as into just having the records represent what the live band sounded like. He was okay with, like, okay, let's let the record be a record and we'll do some overdubs um ted didn't like this so eddie would come in after hours and work with don landy and so this is where he and don landy the uh, engineer who um worked under ted this is where ed and ted 
or sorry, and uh, Don really start connecting and forging their own way of doing things. Okay. So all of the miking techniques and the reverb concepts of Eddie's sound and like how how his tone sounds changes from album to album. The particular, you know, the peculiarities of those things have, are all being worked out by Don and Ed alone. Ah. That they're like, you know, Ted's a Ted Templeman's a hitman. Yeah. You know? He's we're artists. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know. Yep. And so Eddie has his caddy. And they sculpt out the sonic terrain. So, yeah, um, all kinds of fun, meaty guitar stuff happening on this. This is the record that Frank Zappa was like, oh, okay, I get it now. This kid's serious. Ah, okay. And uh, they did some weird stuff together um, and hung out. Oh, man. I didn't know that, that yeah. Eddie and Frank had done stuff together. I think Eddie produced... A single by his daughter, perhaps, I, I want to say. Oh, like Moon some, Unit? I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah, Eddie, um, Eddie did a lot of weird branching out starting around, around this time. He, he would, you know, uncredited work, too. Yeah, Dave didn't like it. Dave yeah. said, Eddie, you're, the, you're, you're cheapening our brand, basically, before people use the, that awful word, brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's basically what he was saying. It's like, you know... Uh, to keep Van Halen special, you don't go and play on other people's records. And Eddie is sort of being starting to be celebrated within the L.A. musician community, which started feeling really good to him, I think. Oh, yeah. And so he started doing sessions and bouncing around town and uh, chasing down Alan Holdsworth and stuff. And um, uh. So you can really hear Eddie... Eddie's idea is really starting to expand here. This is really Edward's album. Yeah, definitely. With things like Sunday Afternoon in the Park, you know, that's really experimental for Van Halen at the time. I mean, because that just, I don't even know what it sounds like. It's just, it sounds like a, a blob. I, I can't really, <laughs> I can't really describe it. If, if you haven't heard it, it just, it sounds like, if you get a, if your kids, I've heard that's Dave on the synth, actually. Really, I've heard that. Yeah, it's it. It sounds like if when your kids make slime, and it just kind yeah. of you just do like, like that's why it makes sense that Dave came up with that. Riff, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. But it um, sounds I, like Unchained. You know the, that's that's a monstrous. It's towering riff. Yeah, it, it's you know it's detuned and it's distorted. And it's just angry. Chunky and yeah. disciplined somehow as well. It's like Well, it's Eddie. Uh, he's you know, he's he's a technician. Even when he tries Sinner to Sinner Swing is where Sinner Swing is where he really gets wild. Like mm. his like feel is really loopy and crazy on that. Oh yeah. It's very difficult to play that kind of stuff and sound like Eddie Van Halen, like the rhythm parts on Sinner Swing. What are you doing? Just as his attack comes in at such odd times. And, oh yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Mean Streets, uh, Dirty Movies—they're all just the whole album is—is their I think it's their darkest album. Even the cover art, everything's brown and dirty. Yeah, every yeah. everything sounds brown on the album. 
<laughs> and it, it's I don't know what it was about that that era. What, what did that come out like late eighty one seventy nine or eighty or something like that or seventy eight? Fair warnings eighty one. It, it okay. So what what was about that time period where everything was this disgusting brown? Okay, well, yellow. drugs had set into the band pretty heavily, <laughs> so I think the first serious hangovers were starting to happen. And the serious discontent within the band, I think, is starting to happen at this time as well. Oh, absolutely. So I th- um, and so it's a pissed-off-sounding album from Dave. It sounds pissed off from Eddie. And um, the other guys play great. Mike sounds like he's more disco somehow on this album. Yeah, yeah. Push comes to shove. He's, that's that's he's a- got the flanger pedal going, and he's like kind of bouncing all over the place, having a really good time, and everyone else is playing really dark riffs. It's, yeah. pretty, it's an interesting <laughs> Which is totally, it's totally Michael Anthony. That's, he's just... <laughs> and then Push comes to shove, he's got that disco bass going... Well, Dirty Movies sounds like a disco song straight up to me. Like, oh, yeah. 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 And, but if you listen to Push Comes to Shove, he he does oh, the, yeah, that the, too. the yeah. typical bass riff, the yeah. disco bass riff. And then the guitar tone is that weird, clean disco tune uh, tone. It's just, it's not my. That's f- from playing favorite. funk covers in the in the club days. Oh yeah, they like. okay. So the, so their party days and their covers come back in a different way then. Yeah, it manifests um, side of covers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, one of the things that happened is that when Eddie would play in the clubs, when they'd be doing songs by R&B bands, he would try to cover the harmonic territory of the horn section. Oh, wow. As well as being the guitar player. So he's like, brown, ticka, 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 and then doing the funk stuff up on the high notes. Yeah. And that you can kind of hear that, how it influenced how he writes riffs even, you know? Where yeah. he has like this sort of like, he'll be doing different things on the high strings than he is on the low strings. Right, and yeah. So in effect, like the low strings are the horns okay. and the high string is the guitar. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, so you, yeah, you're starting to hear a lot of that too. Mean Street, I mean, the guitars on that are just beautifully orchestrated. Um, and the solo, one of his greatest, just the way it comes in with that dive bomb is just like, that split second yeah, gives me chills every time. Oh so. man, it, it, it's it's. I love this album. It's so to me, it's underrated. Yeah. I mean, it's got. If you look at well, the, not amongst fans, it's no, highly rated amongst. That's fans. true, but yeah, to the to the population in general, like even the the crowd at a Van Halen show, a lot of the people might not know one foot out the door. You know, no. The, the only thing that's that's really well known is Unchained. Right. And yeah, Mean Street. Um so this is Love was a was a single. Yeah. We saw we saw that on Much Music a lot. Oh really? Yeah, because they didn't really have a lot of Van Halen videos. They were just they had overplayed everything on nineteen eighty four, so they were like, What else can we play? So there's like fifteen minutes of footage shot from an Oakland concert from eighty one from this tour. So it was uh so This is Love and Unchained. I saw that the So This Is Love today. I went on YouTube and I'm at, yeah. I'm at my job and it's I'm just great. I'm just listening to to Van Halen all day long, just picking a playlist Van Halen and picking the full album. And so when it gets down to so th- so this is love on this album, it's the live clip. For some reason they don't the I guess the uh, 
the studio clip got deleted yeah. or something. I don't. Oh, okay. Yep. I don't know why. It's a it's a good version. It's a great version. Yeah, they're it, great on this tour. I I really wish I would have been old enough to see them at this time because. Oh, me too. I was eight, so uh, that wasn't going to happen. But, yeah, I was. The, yeah, I think we're the same age. So I yeah, think I was so. Like, oh man. <laughs> so I, yeah, but I wasn't. I, I didn't know about them. But so this is love. Really, kind of stands out as like a pop song that almost you could have imagined on the first album, perhaps, but. Mm-hmm. There's like a new, like, there's like, Eddie's like getting more nimble, you know, and he's like finger picking those chords in the verses and it's getting more harmonically complex and he's like at once more jazzy, but also I hear like little Pete Townsend things coming in with the suspended chords and like, mm. he's just, his playing is getting really colorful and the palette, the sonic palette that they used, you know, and bringing in the flanger pedal a lot on this record and working closely with Landy after hours, after, you know, they sent yeah. Ted and Dave out of the room, you know, it's really starting to pay off. And, um, I guess it, it, um, it didn't sell all that well. I don't think so. Um, yeah. The, I don't think they released a single. And yeah. It's, so, well, and there's no covers on this one. Again, another album with no covers. Yeah. So the reason why I call it the willful child is like Eddie takes over, you know, and it's his vision and he shoves it down their throat, kicking and screaming, Dave and Ted. Yeah. And um, I I think uh, it's a beautiful album whose reputation is, you know, stellar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I think even Dave's lyrics were much, were still growing. I think he was, he he was doing, I mean, his, his, he was telling stories. Now instead of uh-huh. instead of just you know committing sexual yeah, assault in music form, sort of bragging, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my cat is really lonely. I've been away for a couple of days. Oh, you okay, babe? Go ahead. She she likes to sit on the studio amplifier where it's really warm. Oh, there you. What's her favorite Van Halen song? Ever? What was your cat's favorite album? song? Oh, Penelope. <laughs> Um, she likes to hear about it later. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> which I love as well. That is, I think yeah, that's a really, really, really great track. Yeah, it, that's this whole album to me. It's it's one of the albums that I picked up later, and I regret not getting it earlier because it's just it's it's for not having, like you said, singles and not having a whole lot of well-known songs on it. Because if you look at their greatest hits albums, the only thing on there is, like, I think, Unchained and Mean Unchained. Street, maybe. Means, maybe Mean Street, maybe. Oh, okay. I don't even know if it's maybe. on the good... I think un, I, I know think un, it is. I, think, I know Unchained is, and that may be the only one so, representing right. this album. So, Yeah. It's a shame. So, the next album, Diver Down. Right. This, um, I've called the, the Ted and Dave show. Oh, <laughs> that, and that's the most accurate title there could be. They wrestle control of the proceedings from Eddie, and he is now back to being just the guitar player. <laughs> and there are five, 
fucking covers on this album. <laughs> Count them. Oh, man. And I'll pull up the track list here and I'll, we'll get to them. But this, like I said, the first Van Halen album I got was 1984. The very first Van Halen song I ever heard was their cover of Oh, Pretty Woman. Okay. Yeah, and, that was a single. And I think it did okay. Yeah, I, I remember we went out looking for um, my mom, my brother and I, and, and, and my little sister. We went all out. She went to a record store. She was getting something. She's like, and and she, we asked if we could get a, a a record. And there's something about Van Halen. This happened with me and Van Halen, apparently. We wanted to get Steve Miller's Abracadabra. Cool. And we couldn't, I don't know if we couldn't find it, but I found this, this K-Tel album. So, you know, I'm like nine or 10 at this point. So we have, I find this K-Tel album and I pick it up and it's got a train on it. So I'm like, this is cool. Let me look at this. And I see Abacab by Genesis. So I go to my mom and say, is, is that the same song that we're, we're looking for? And she's like, I don't know. And she just picks up and she buys it. And so it was Hit Express by KTEL Records, and it had Pretty Woman by Van Halen on it. Great. It was awesome. It had a whole bunch of cool stuff on it. I mean, it had Abacab oh, by Genesis. It had, uh, had Huey Lewis in the News on it, Rod Stewart, uh, Foreigner, Van Halen, Hall & Oates, Joan Jett. It was a hell of an album. But that was my, first, my actual first introduction to anything Van Halen was Pretty Woman. Cool. So that song is always going to be one of my favorites. I love it. To me, it's the version. I like it better than Roy's. Sorry. I didn't want to say that, but I agree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's coming from a heavy metal kid, though. So Now, Dancing in the Street, uh, that song, Eddie, that's, it uh, does, the chords are not the same, the introductory chords that, you know, that whole part that starts the song. Eddie started that song as an original Okay. Ted and Dave. Ted and Dave heard down, down, down. That whole part. Yeah. And they went, no, let's let's turn this into a cover of Dancing in the Street. And Eddie's like, come on. Yeah. Really. <laughs> You're taking my song away and turning it into a cover, which uh, I'm getting no publishing on. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened, and he didn't want to do it, but they did it. Um. Uh, where have all the good times gone? Probably a Ted idea. Maybe a can, Dave idea. Yeah. yeah. Or a record company idea. Let's do another Kinks cover. That worked so well. Yeah. Well, well, they did get their hit in Oh Pretty Woman. So, yes. Um, now, once I had, as a teenager, digested all six of these albums of the original Roth era Van Halen albums, this was my favorite. Oddly enough. I love this album. I got to tell you, when, when Van Halen's remasters came out the first time, Yep. And I feel like Van Halen is becoming like Iron Maiden, where every like three or four years they just remaster their albums again, so everybody has to go buy them. So, so I love Iron Maiden, but screw you, Iron Maiden. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first two that I got on my limited budget was 1984 and Diver Down. Me too. I had to get those two. <laughs> yep. And just for Oh Pretty Woman, and I didn't even care. About, I, and I love the rest of the album. I love Intruder. Is an unbelievable intro to Pretty Woman, I and mean, it's just oh yeah, I can't. It, it's just insane. I mean, they've just completely changed that song. Um, well, this album has my favorite all-time Van Halen song. Guess which one it is? Uh, your all-time favorite? I'm gonna say the Full Bug. 
Oh, damn it. What is it? Because if I got secrets, secrets. Oh, yeah. I adore that song. Really? That's that's a good poppy number off the album. Ah, it's wistful and beautiful. I don't know. It's to me, it's a really deep little pop song. It's it's Just, um, yeah. It's it's one I did Eddie, it's, 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 the it's, it's the it's the chords. The sort of like. He's he's doing this quick but complex kind of stuff that just sort of floats by really quickly, and I love the, this is my favorite Eddie Van Halen guitar sound on this album. It's is that like, the that's what he does? This weird like little harmonic intro. Um. Oh, that's the cathedral. Okay. Intro, so isn't it? Oh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just and it's, it's it goes into yeah. Okay. With the volume swells. Yes. Uh, yep. That's yeah. That's that's cathedral. It, it's so neat. Little guitars could give secrets a run for its money for me too. Like oh yeah, what a unusual and fun. Just like the I don't know. That one always got me too because he's doing this suspended stuff. Like, but it's so fast and he makes it sound so natural and and easy to sing over for Dave somehow. But what he's doing is actually for me like really deep and complex, and um, I love that one too. What are your thoughts on Big Bad Bill? Is Sweet William now and Happy Trails? Didn't they do an oboe? Well, perfectly, <laughs> perfectly appropriate <laughs> for this given, album. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, they got to bring in. Uh, the Van Halen brothers got to bring in their dad to play clarinet. Clarinet, that's what it is. It's clarinet. Yeah. And um, I think it was like a fun session. I think Dave and the old man were actually close. Ah, Dave okay. Dave really liked him and thought he was a cool guy, you know? Yeah. See, um, my understanding is that this is, well, because they were pushing Eddie down, this, this is a fun-sounding album. It sounds... This, it sounds like they had a blast doing this album, but my understanding is that it was the exact opposite. It was just so <laughs> tense and and filled with anger, which is so weird to end up as because the album ends with happy trails, and the last thing is all you hear a bunch of guys cracking up in the background. Yeah, and it's yeah. just blies all it's the a great trouble. illusion. It is, right. <laughs> and apparently, I guess that's what Van Halen was all about. At that time, anyway, because you saw them on uh-huh. stage and they they had a great stage presence and they're having a blast. Lean, Eddie's yeah. leaning on Dave playing the guitar, and they just you can't imagine they're fighting and screaming at each other. Exactly, like, that makes they, sense. It's insane. I mean, there's, <laughs> I, I, it kind of blows my mind that that you could put on a show and be that good of an actor. I mean, right. it's, yeah. Because you look at the videos from that time, that, that not just the live videos, but the actual videos that they were making. Um, what was that one that they made with the midget? Uh, what Pretty Woman, I think. Was it Pretty Woman that they, they made the video for? I can't remember. I just remember it was like so. they were running around in the dark with a lot of fog and a, and a midget. Like, and Dave, for some reason, David Lee Roth is just like Napoleon or something. It, yes, that's, that's Pretty Woman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but they used the intruder intro. For the whole video as that's, well. That's right. That's right. Super odd. It is the, odd creative decision. <laughs> a lot of stuff is odd about Van Halen in this time. <laughs> oh man. So I don't know if there's much else to say about this album. It's it's fun. No, that's good. Yeah. I love it. And uh, 
it still still listen to it. Yeah, and then they took a, a quite an extensive break, and they moved on to our next chapter. Yeah, they spent all of 1983 making 1984, and the album was released December 31st, 1984. I've chaptered it, uh, Eddie's Revenge. Very he good. takes complete control of the proceedings by building his own studio <laughs> in his own backyard. <laughs> Brilliant move. Fuck all y'all. Doing it my way, and you ain't, yeah. or you ain't getting my tapes. And um, Jump, which he had been trying to get the band to record for years, Yes, um, I did hear that. He finally just plugged into that Oberheim and Don Landy put it through the... What did they have? I think they had an AP, uh, API board brought into Eddie's place. He said he got it. He goes, it's a piece of junk. I got it for $2,000. That's what he said <laughs> in an interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that doesn't, doesn't surprise me because... Yeah. Look at his first guitars. They're all Frankensteins that he, he pieced together. He loves pieces of junk, he you does. know, and putting them together. That's the way his brain works. And he makes them sound beautiful. Oh. I wish I could do something like that with anything. So oh. he builds the studio, and then politically within the band, it's like he was trying to edge Ted out because Ted sided with Dave and vice versa always. And both of them were resistant to jump, um, Eddie was like he knew it was a hit, and um, but he needed Dave to work on it and write a great part for it. Um, so I think it was when I think it was when he switched over to the Oberheim and, and kind of got Alex. I, oh, I think they started the track already. Okay, and they showed it to those two guys, and then Ted went, "Oh, okay, I see what you mean now." Yeah, and Dave just sort of was like, "Well, if Ted's in, then I gotta be in." Yeah, <laughs> that's how they started doing jump. Um, and "I'll Wait" is the other um, keyboard song. And of course, this album, you know, put them into the stratosphere. Oh, yeah, of, of popularity. But it is it is my favorite one. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Mine absolutely by quite a bit. And and actually, jump is. Probably my least favorite song on the entire album. And it's still amazing. Yeah. But, and, but I've yes. Got, I've got a question for you because I honestly don't know the answer to this. What was with the extra whoa in the whoa. video? Did we already talk about this? Because I thought I was the only person in the world that knows or that, is, that asks this question. And I don't know. Other than Damn. it had to have been a single mix. But I've never seen that. Only made for a video, a, a separate mix made for video because I had and have the seven inch single and it's not on that, which is the single edit for jump. And that, but that's the only difference is that extra. Whoa. Yeah. So what, what, what I want to know. So we got to get, need to ask someone. We're going to have to get uh, David Lee Roth or Ted Templeman on here. 
I don't know. Is Ted still alive? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if one of those people. I'm pretty sure. sure David Lee Roth is still alive, so maybe we can get him on. Yes. We can ask him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, man, uh, Eddie was right at this time of his life. Like, he knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. This album is a juggernaut of, like, creativity, of really great top vibes, too. Just, like, this album came out in the summer of 84, which I consider to be, like, the greatest year of all time. Oh. For, as far as pop music goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got this album on cassette. I was 11. I was cruising around with my mom in this Rivi- diesel Riviera with a sunroof. It's all <laughs> white. And it had a kick-ass sound system, cassette sound system in the car. Nice. And I she would let me crank it up driving downtown to get on the <laughs> boat. And, uh, <laughs> and then, like, super hi-fi car stereo. Oh, yeah. Oh, sounded amazing. Um, Pioneers and Kenwoods. Yeah, even then, though, like the deeper tracks, like Drop Dead Legs, was my favorite. That is my immediately dead ass. That is my favorite song. It it could be mine, too. I'm all over the place with my favorite. Never (laughs) trust me when I say it's my favorite. My kids bust me on it all the time. Really? So, this is like your 200th favorite song. (laughs) It's it's hard to pick, though. I mean, it's definitely my, my. I think my favorite song off this album, probably out of their entire catalog, but Girl Gone Bad, House of Pain, yeah, they're all incredible. They're so heavy. Um, there's a great book that is on my shelf over there. Um, what the heck is it called? It's kind of like the first highbrow book written about Van Halen. Oh, okay. So it's called Van Halen... Exuberant California Zen Rock and Roll by John Scanlon. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's a great title. It's an incredible book. Really? Oh, I'll have to check it out. Incredible. It's a smarty pants book about Van Halen. And um, he, um, he makes a link between what Van Halen is up to, Eddie Van Halen particularly, and what Charlie Parker was up to. Harmonically. <laughs> really? And Yeah, and he uses Girl Gone Bad as sort of like the, ex, uh, you know, the prime example. And, um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about jazz, but I threw on some stuff and I was like, oh, I see what he's talking about. Oh, I, to, I don't know. Like, a whole listen lot about to how weird those intro chords are. You know that? Yeah. They're all little chords that he's like harmonic. Like, I think he's playing harmonics on the guitar on that. Yeah. Um, but it's chordally and harmonically, it's really odd and unusual. And Dave just slides so perfectly over top of it um, on House of Pain and Girl Gone Bad. I mean, Girl Gone Bad must have been inc- like, I cannot imagine writing vocals over that. It's oh, no. Just, you know, they, they would have had the instrumental track done and then they would have, Penelope, they would have given it to him. And he somehow knows what to do with Eddie's music. It's really amazing. Yeah, and, and you know, at that point, you would think that this album had a little bit of everything for these guys. You know, you had uh, the poppier stuff for Dave. You had the heavier stuff and the more complex stuff for Eddie. And it ended up tearing the entire band apart instead of bringing them together. 
And, well, and he, it's odd that Dave didn't want to sing the hit. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm it? saying. Yeah, that exactly. was Eddie's. <laughs> it was so um, weird because it it that's the thing that you you would figure would bring them together, and between that and, and doing these those amazing videos that they did. Yeah, they, yeah. Hot for I think it was Dave, Dave and Pete Angelus. Those, those two guys like did mm -hmm. the videos together mostly. Um, oh, they're outrageous, and they really captured like, you know, we were eleven, and so this is like the first. You know, they hadn't really done the Pretty Woman video; didn't get a lot of play, and I think it was and probably it good cheap. that it didn't get a lot of play. Yeah, it looked <laughs> really cheap. And by 1982, people were starting to, the budgets were getting bigger. By 83, video was everywhere. And 84, it was king. So Dave knew this. Eddie didn't give a toss. He's just like, okay, do what you got to do. Um, and uh, I think they did jump for a couple thousand bucks, like three <laughs> grand or something, Jeez. real cheap. And Dave and Pete... Um, edited it, and then I think they got a bit of a budget for Panama because they did that shot at that hotel where like Eddie's getting let out of a hotel room, yeah, or whatever. Or oh, is, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Dave in, in, in the towel. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's yeah, amazing. yeah. And Eddie's blowing smoke rings at the, in the with the piano in the hotel room. Uh, yes, I yes. Love that shot. And then there's then they did it hot for teacher. Would sit down, Waldo. I mean that one was. That was phenomenal. It was interesting because the song is basically like, you know, a sped up, psychotic, <laughs> ZZ Top, you know, boogie. Yeah. A real ZZ Top boogie, but sped way, way up. Yeah. And um, it just has, you know, the solo is unbelievable. It's so beautiful. Well, and and that's, there's, there's no overdubs on that. That's just one guitar bass and drums really? on that song, which oh is amazing. Yeah. And, and at 11 years old, I hear the intro, and I'm thinking that Alex Van Halen is the best drummer ever. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. insane. Which, you know, that's there's a whole debate about how good of a drummer he is, but that that intro is just crazy. Yeah, especially yeah, when you're yeah, especially when you're preteen or, or or a teenager. It's just you can't imagine. No, it's how anyone could possibly do that. Yeah, exactly. So it's the, the, that album was just so powerful, and, and maybe it's just because it hit you and I at, at such a pivotal time in our lives. But I think it's just because it's a freaking good album. It's it's a beautifully balanced album, and it presented a mood that was like super attractive at that time. You know? Oh yeah. Um, and jump as much as it's like the big hit that everyone may have grown a bit tired of it's um when i hear it i still love it and I, I, what i hear is like i hear melancholy in that chorus or in that pre-chorus especially oh yeah um yeah there's like it's not like this totally happy song no it's it's a little bit fatalistic you know and a little bit like oh shit can't you well, see me standing okay. here i got my back against the record machine I ain't the best that you've seen, you know, like yeah. he's rating himself <laughs> yeah, ex mediocre or medium, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, I don't know. It's, I can listen to that album now and it instantly, I'm 11 years old again. <laughs> uh, Top Jimmy is such a fun romp. Yep. It is. It's Dave does, un tells a great tale about um, a guy he used to see play. 
uh, in the clubs around LA. Okay. And sort of like um, took some creative license and made the story a little bit more fun. Hey, like good songwriters um, do. Yep. And uh, Eddie does some stuff that we've never heard before again. Mm-hmm. Sort of like this sort of sped up Chet Atkins thing or something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, I didn't think about that. That is, it's like some weird chicken picking or something. I don't know what, yeah. what it is that he's doing. It's, yeah. It's it's just really cool. And that whole album, especially at that time in my life, it was filled with stuff I'd never heard before. Yeah. and the, But the drums on truck, it's like I remember hearing this song so much at uh, Fairgrounds. Okay. summer, you know? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, you'd go around to each ride, and each ride would have, like, you know, a really tough-looking teenage kid <laughs> with their own sound system. Yeah, some teenage carny with tattoos so you already. You hear all these like metal songs playing from everywhere, and they're always like playing metal. And uh, that summer, you know, I remember hearing a lot of side two of 1984. I remember hearing Panama everywhere I went. Yeah, and yeah, like you know, for some reason teenagers are running carny rides, and they've already got tattoos, and they're smoking, and. I'm like, yeah, to me, Panama might be the only one that actually sounds like what you'd expect Van Halen to sound like on the album. Yeah, I can see that. It's the only song that maybe you could have imagined on Women and Children First, kind of, you know? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And and then... But no other song could you imagine on any other album. Like, I I feel like it's a real progression. Yeah, it is a... It's art. It's definitely a quantum leap in in songwriting for all of them. Yeah, all of them. And, uh... Again, no covers. No covers. No, this is Eddie. Eddie took over. He's like, yep. this. that's that's enough. The, you know, the tide just, it, it swung there for a few albums where, you know, Eddie had accumulated enough sort of credit or power to, to, to pull off fair warning. It failed financially, according to, you know, the dictates of the business at the time. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, and then so so the producer takes over the next album, and they have a hit with Pretty Woman. And Eddie's like, I see where this is going now. So he's that's by building the studio, he knew that he just physically had control of whatever he was working on. Like yeah. he had the tapes. Yeah, exactly. And he had the and you're not coming through the gates unless Eddie asks you to come. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the king of the castle at that point. Yep. So then they they end up parting ways after Dave decides to do an EP of more cover songs and weirdness, crazy from the heat. And then they so that so they split up for a while. And I don't want to. I don't really want to go into. And we hadn't planned on going into any of the Van Hagar stuff. So no interest. Same. All right. So then. <laughs> so then. They did, they decided to come out with his greatest hits album, and they record two songs with with, oh, right. with Dave, "Me Wise Magic," and you can't get that stuff in. Sound like a new '90s Van Halen. They do. They, they definitely sound like a like like 
the next step forward in what Van Halen could have been. And exactly. I love Me Wise Magic. You can't get that stuff no more. I'm not so crazy about, but I love Me Wise Magic. Yeah, Me Wise Magic was it, it's really odd yeah. piece of music. And yeah. it's like at that time where Eddie is writing some really obtuse material, but again, Dave saves it. And by the times, you know, you know, but in the nineties, like Sammy just didn't know what the what to do with Eddie's music. He was just getting so uh, you know, not just kind of twisted up and it was hard for a straight ahead rocker to come up with vocals that worked over a lot of that stuff. And yeah. Um, Gary Sharon, you know, twisted himself into pretzels trying to come up with melodies on that shit and it just didn't work, you know, like, yeah, it's, but Dave could do it. Dave, he's the only one. I mean, Gary, if they took one the album. music, if they took all the music for Van Halen three, this is a good idea. Take, take, Gary Sharon's vocals off of Van Halen 3 and have Eddie write new melodies to, or sorry, have Dave write new melodies to oh, all man. of those songs. <laughs> that, would be, that would be, you know, it's funny because I can't, I don't even remember any of the songs off of 3. I, I can't picture one in my head either. I, I just, I remember the cover, that big fat guy getting blown away by a cannonball. Such a terrible album cover. <laughs> it really is. I think it was Alex's idea. It's oh, that's awful. Uh, he was a full-blown alcoholic at that time anyway, so that makes sense. And then then they take a hiatus from everything for years and years and come back, what, about five years ago with a different kind of truth. Seems to be a ton of old demos re-recorded. Well, they always kind of worked like that. Um, this is just a continuation of, um, you know, like Van Halen Two was just Van Halen One leftovers. Mm -hmm. So there was lots of stuff in the can. Um, but by the time Roth left the band, Eddie was not interested in going back to that stuff. He was writing, he was excitedly writing vo music for a new vocalist. So he was like, no, let's let's come up with a new brand of Van Halen, right? Yeah. Yeah. music so for dave's stuff you know i guess eddie only had a couple new ideas around um as is is new that's a great song uh, china chinatown is new yeah. so i know bullethead is old because i remember seeing bootlegs yeah, of most of them are old demos. she's the woman bullethead those are old songs but dave reworked vocals on them and i think dave did an outstanding job yeah of his lyrics are at, I think, a peak on this record, actually. Now, what pisses me off is basically the whole Michael Anthony problem. You know, after right. after they recorded 1984, they may, they, I don't, and I don't know exactly how you can do this, except for the fact that, you know, maybe Michael Anthony isn't the strongest personality in the group. They forced Michael Anthony to sign a contract, basically making him a studio player in the band. He didn't get any of the credits. Yeah. He got no points for the album. He got nothing. So Eddie had been trying to edge him out since Diver Down, apparently. That's that's such yeah. a shame. I mean, he's a good bassist. He's not an incredible bassist, but 
his I rate him very highly. I listen to the jazzy stuff he he does on Girl Gone Bad and stuff. It's really really great. His I miss him. his vocals, yeah. With with he's I mean his vocals. Van Halen wouldn't have had the harmonies without him. It would have been flat. As, yeah. Well, no not, running not with the devil. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so when they decided to do all these new stuff, they they didn't even bother inviting. They did. They pulled old Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones, and just invited. Uh, Eddie's son to play bass. Yeah, who did a great job, but he has a different style completely. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, I, actually, I really like his playing on the record. I have no problem with it. I prefer Mikey's touch, but uh, it's not a major complaint for me. It's a very minor complaint for me. I think they sound fine without him as well. I think they do, um, but I I just don't like... I don't know. if, if It's it's hard, just because it's it's hard. Like It's like saying... You know, Led Zeppelin reunited, but without John Paul Jones. That, they did. <laughs> it was called but, Page and Plant. <laughs> but they called it Page and Plant. Yeah, they didn't call it Van Halen. Yeah. Or Van, well, they probably wouldn't have called it Van Halen either. But they didn't call it Led Zeppelin. <laughs> they called yeah. it Unleaded. But, you know, it's, it's, to me, it runs in that same vein. It's, you know, I would, I would be, it would be one thing if, I don't know, he was a drug addict or something, but. And, and couldn't do it, you know, play the part anymore. But he's completely capable, and and from all from all accounts, one of the, like, the sweetest people on the planet. Anyway, it's a great album. Tattoo <laughs> sucks. It is. It does. That's the worst song on the album. I thought they were tanked. I was like, this is gonna suck. I was so disappointed. And then I got the album the day it came out, and I skipped tattoo and I started. She's the woman, and. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, this is this is them." Uh, I did, I did something. Blood different. and fire to me. Sorry, oh, I did. I did. I heard tattoo, and I was like, "I'm not getting it." And I didn't get it me for too. like years. I was so scared. Yeah. I didn't get it until like two years ago. No one was more excited about this album than me. <laughs> no one was more let down than tattoo. I sound like Trump right now. Yeah. Um, I love. Blood and Fire, um, that song to me is almost like could have been on Diver Down. Yeah, you know? I, yeah, I could definitely That's see that. That's the vibe. Bouncy, kind of like slightly wistful. Um, I love Bullethead, man. That's like the return of like the punchy, yes. fair warning like, whoa, that, fast. I, Dave's I that. lyrics are genius on that track. I love Chinatown. Um, Honey Baby Sweetie Doll is is really cool. I like. I, basically, it's it's yep. really hard for me to pick one I don't like, and it's except for Tattoo. Out of Space sounds like Van Halen one. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, and apparently, I'm looking at I'm looking at the checklist. They had a. Uh, a deluxe edition DVD where they did versions of Panama, You and Your Blues, and Beautiful Girls. Acoustic. It's really bad. Is it? I haven't, I haven't heard it. It's bad. Oh, man. Eddie can't play acoustic, man. He's like, it's a whole different, it's a different instrument. Yeah. It just sounds weird. Re- oh, man. That's the, that's the thing we're talking about. I just, oh, no, maybe it's, oh, it is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a the bonus deluxe edition DVD. I'll have to look it up just so I can hear how bad it is it's kind of one of those it's like a traffic it's accident. not terrible it's obviously not terrible but it's like it's just uh it's not as exciting 
<laughs> all right. Well, I think we've hit all seven of the Roth Boom. Roth albums. So, if you had to pick one, uh, all right, we know '84 is is both of our favorites. What can you imagine if they had been able to hold it together? What they could have done between '84 and a different kind of truth. Um, well, it's hard to say what the next album would have sounded like, but, um, you know, Me Wise Magic gives you a, a pretty good idea of, like, how it would have gotten weirder, but still, still good, still interesting. It, like, I don't think there'd be a, an Is This Love or Love Comes Walking In or any other song with the word love in it. No. <laughs> David Lee Roth isn't big no. on love. <laughs> no, no, no. We wouldn't have those those kind of songs for sure. <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, is there anything else we want to add to this? Not really. I think, I think we I've said my piece. I think we've summarized it pretty well. And yeah. and uh, you know, if if Anybody listening hasn't heard these albums, you definitely got to go out and, and, and listen to them. It, it'll, it'll change your life. To use that old cliche. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, have you done any Van Halen covers? Uh, no, but I remember when we were recording the second Blink of the Star album, Ken and I, I would get on the drums and he would play DOA and we would jam that. Oh, man. Break sometimes, which is fun. That, oh, Dude, I'd love to hear that. Oh, that and also, cool. oh no, one night um, there was like a radio contest when we were touring on August Everywhere, and there was a they had this contest in D.C. where the the winner of the contest hosted us playing at your house, and you have a house party. Oh wow! So we ended up in the suburbs playing at this like house party, like these like oh middle aged party animals, <laughs> and we had we played all night. They were just like play more, play more. So we we're like. Making just trying to do if two people in the band knew a song, we would do that cover. Oh my god, and we actually tried to do jump, it was hilarious. Oh, (laughs) yeah, thank god it doesn't exist. Oh, damn, (laughs) oh man, I'd love to hear that. Oh, (laughs) all right, man. Well, we'll be doing, we'll be definitely doing more of these. We've got a whole lot of other topics to talk about. Uh, Jordan and I have made a list, and uh, we'll be getting together every once in a while and and doing these based on uh. Your schedule, Jordan, because I know mine's pretty... I, I kind of know when I'm going to be open. Cool. All right. So, All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, this has been a blast to do, and uh, we'll, we'll do another one here before too long. We shall.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.